This is Paul Siegel. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live at 1 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and youtube.com slash wanderingdms slash live. And now, on with the show. Hi everyone, welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan, and on this episode of Wandering DMs, we're going to be talking about diegetic disasters. What happens when rule changes actually get played out in your campaign world game, which was a thing that kind of happened uh, in earlier times and doesn't happen too much nowadays. But we're going to be talking about that kind of interesting detail, whether it's a good idea or not today on Wandering DMs. Um, and of and course, gonna... Paul, the, 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 we're, we, a couple of weeks back, we had an episode where we were talking about edition changes, thinking about mm-hmm. a possible new revision to 5th edition D&D coming up in the near future. And uh, today, we're mostly going to be talking about these adventures in the 1st to 2nd edition transition. Right. I mean, really, the, the interesting thing about that particular transition is it seems that uh, the uh, authors of... of... <laughs> D&D and of adventures in that time period seemed really concerned about um, about uh, uh, like consistency within the fictional world. I want to say is that, mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. roughly roughly how you feel? Yeah, like uh, yeah, yeah. I yeah. don't know why they, they thought they were producing a television show or something and thought that it was really important that they're um, yeah. that they're not being consistencies for some reason. They explain rule changes within the fiction, which I don't think they've done since and. I would argue it's a good, it's good, it's good that they don't do that. Well, there you go. I mean, that's that was that was that was going to be my 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 concluding question actually, and it's clearly uh, lessened, right? They they are less. Uh, th- there's been less um, priority given to that particular issue. You're, you're reminding me something that I heard uh, Mr. Frank Menser say not long ago is that in the trend. Not that we're talking about this today, but in the shift from zero edition to first edition, uh, Menser said that he and Gygax and everybody working on it had a fundamental axiom that anything that happened in zero edition had to also be possible in first edition. And Hmm. so to those guys, it was was really one continuous game being expanded and that anything in the original edition had to be consistent going forward and did give precedent. Um, so that was the, um, the as, as Menser said, the, the fundamental axiom at the time, and things have kind of evolved in different directions since then. So it was very much on their mind. Yeah. Let's, uh, so you and I are kind of focus on this in different, in different areas, which I think is really interesting. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be talking a bit about the Forgotten Realms. I'm showing here the uh, Forgotten Realms Adventures hardcover book that came out in 1989 right around the time second edition was released. Uh, I actually never owned this book. I've only seen it in PDF since. Um, but but certainly, I would say my gaming group around 1989 to around 1992 uh, was very focused on Forgotten Realms. We liked Forgotten Realms a lot. We used a lot of its content. I wouldn't say that we were like really uh, consistent about trying to base our adventures in the Forgotten Realms. We kind of more had a, you know, patchwork quilt world of whatever we think is cool <laughs> shoved together, yep, um, yep. which continues to be sort of my style these days anyway. But uh, we definitely enjoyed Forgotten Realms back then. And then, Dan, you're going to be Obviously talking that book, a bit about uh, Greyhawk, has, right? Um, oh. right, correct. Uh, before we get off this, I just want to point out the, that book uh, that Paul's showing us uh, was authored by uh, Jeff Grubb and Ed Greenwood. We had Jeff Grubb on the show a while back. And he might come up later in uh, in our discussion today, as a matter of fact. Um, uh, but yeah. Paul's right. Yeah, I, the, the, I know a little bit well, more about Greyhawk. Uh, that was kind of more fundamental to the first edition era that I played through. So um, that's, the, that's the, the component that I will probably be focused on myself today. And I'll be just asking Paul's questions about Forgotten Realms, because I did not get into that very much. Interesting. So there's com- there's some comments in- already from uh, uh, from yeah. our viewers here that, yeah. that say that they uh, felt that maybe uh, they did it between third and fourth as well. 
Um, maybe, maybe that's true. And just you and I aren't as plugged into that because uh, we didn't bother with such things when fourth edition came out. Is that, do we have a blind spot here, Dan? Well, I mean, Joshua was totally correct about that. And I also agree with Ash saying that the, the first to second switch, they, they pressed somewhat harder than, than later. But of course, Joshua was totally correct about that with uh, the Spell Plague event. I think that, that there was more focus specifically on Forgotten Realms. And um, so Forgotten Realms continued to have some kind of event like that. And the other campaign worlds, they did more hand wavy stuff. I think there was a um, uh, spell jammer or, um, oh geez, what is the, uh, what is the Strahd campaign world? I keep forgetting that. Uh, uh, Ravenloft. Ravenloft, right? I think there was like, I think there was a, like a, a Ravenloft based thing that was supposed to be like a meta event that kind of explained all the campaign worlds, but they didn't bother to actually make campaign world specific adventures for those later transitions. They, they, they kind of did for Forgotten Realms. He's right about that. Let me let me dig in a little bit to what happened in, in Forgotten Realms, uh, at least what I can talk about. Um, and again, my, you know, I was I was pretty young when this was coming out. I, I don't say that I, I wouldn't say I was as academic as I am now about my analysis of, of the <laughs> content. Um, but I was certainly aware of it. It came up in our past conversation. Um, actually, I'm going to come about this a little sideways. It came out in our conversation because of the Forgotten Realms comic book, which I have a, a, a collection of. Um, and so I was kind of aware there was a four-issue little series in their run uh, about um, uh, what they call the Time of Troubles. So basically, in Forgotten Realms, they explained the transition by this, this uh, event where all the gods were cast down to the world and walked around on the world and a lot of crazy stuff happened. Um, some, some gods were killed, other, you know, normal humans were, were deified eventually by the end. Um, you can see here in the cover, this is actually, I think the third in the series of four, uh, the avatar, what they call the avatar series where, uh, the cleric, the elven cleric, uh, character in the comic book, uh, has an interesting relationship with his God who, who basically uses, uh, you know, uses his body as an avatar briefly in the, in the, oh. in the story. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's, uh, and it's, it's very, it's very interesting because the, the, the God, uh, the God in particular here, I think is, uh, I'm going to say his name totally wrong, but Coralyn Larithian, something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. And he's kind of capricious in the, in the story. His character is like not mm -hmm. great. <laughs> you kind of yeah. get a little annoyed with him as the, as the story goes on. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's interesting. So I was aware of that. And then also, um, I read, uh, they also included it in their novels. So here's, there was a series of novels, and, and uh, I'm showing them on the on the, the bottom row is the novels here. Uh, this a, a trilogy called, uh, I think, the Avatar Trilogy, uh, which included mm -hmm. Shadowdale, Tantris, and Waterdeep, which are locations in, in, in Forgotten Realms. But they described the events of of uh, the time of troubles and some of the specific characters uh, who who deal with the gods and perhaps are, are deified. But the top row is the modules based on those novels. So they made second edition D and D modules specific. I mean, you can see they even use this the very same artwork. Right. Right. The covers right, right. are identical, um, but they made these three modules so that you, you know. I think they were trying to essentially follow the model that seemed to have worked so well for Dragonlance. Right, yeah, mm -hmm. a series of novels, and then here are some uh, D and D adventures based on those novels. Um, and so I never, I never ran those modules. Um, I think at the time I kind of, I, I remember reading the novels and and liking the novels, enjoying them, and they were interesting. I think there's a a, a god who rises up out of the novels named Kelimvor. He's one of the main characters in the books. And I really liked him, and I think eventually I made a character who worshipped that god because I thought it was really interesting and fun. Um, but I never played the adventures because I think I always kind of raised an eyebrow at the adventures. I went, "Really? Are we just are we just uh, reading the novels to each other?" Right, right. And that's and that, that and my I, vague. When, yeah, go on, go on, Dan. Uh, when, <laughs> when you know when you mentioned Dragonlance, when when the Dragonlance series came out in the eighties, which was a parallel novels and adventures, I had the same impression of, yeah. you know, it's kind of surprising that you'd want a series of adventures so on the rails, 
But, you know, other people acclaimed it as like, now they're stories, they're real stories that we're, we're playing through. And isn't that great? And so there was a lot of excitement about that at the time among some people. I, I agree with that, at least in terms of Dragonlance. I will say that the tides had mm -hmm. turned by the time these adventures came out. So I have uh, right. a quote here from a review uh, written by uh, Dave Hughes uh, in, in the magazine Games International about this series, uh, where he said, uh, uh, he basically, he gave it four out of 10, four out of 10. He rated the, the adventures. <laughs> he said here, uh, the players may well feel they are being herded from scene to scene with few opportunities for ideas of their own. They are either saved at every turn by helpful non-player characters or simply left to die inconsequentially where luck saved the characters in the novel. Um, basically just, just kind of, uh, it just panned them, absolutely panned them for, for how railroady they were and, uh, how they tried really hard to just translate the novels and good luck players and just kind of destroy player agency. Right. That's interesting because I, I'm going to, I'm going to wind up saying something similar about the Greyhawk adventure in the same time, actually. I think that's, I'm, it's, I'm ready to believe that. <laughs> you know, Paul, no. can I, I have a question about the covers actually. So if you go back mm -hmm. to the image of the covers, the, the 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 two out of the three adventures have this starburst on them, and I they're too small for yep. me to read. Can you tell me what that says? Sure, absolutely. I've got a bigger uh, image of that here in front of my face. Um, Shadowdale. I think actually all three of them have it. You're right. Uh, you're right. You're right. I'm yep. scrolling through. They're just in different different positions yep. uh, on the on the yep. cover. I think they all say the same thing, which is compatible with the AD and D and the AD and D second edition game systems. Interesting. Interesting. You notice that they're not calling it first edition AD&D. It's at that point, it's just AD&D right. and second edition. Because nobody had called it first edition until retroactively later. Yep. Yep. Fascinating. Which is interesting, too, I think, because I, I, I dug into these modules a little bit to see if they, they said anything about converting or how to deal with first edition versus second edition. Uh, each one has a little section, a little paragraph in the beginning uh, that says uh, a note about AD&D second edition. And the, and the funny thing okay. is that, that that section gets longer in each of each subsequent module. So clearly okay. they were like, oh, we forgot about blah. Oh, we forgot about blah. Let's add that in, let's add that in. Um, but what they basically say is they talk a lot about how like class names have changed. They're, they're mages now instead of magic users right. and they're priests instead of clerics. Um, and they talk about like, uh, uh, making ability checks and how ability scores are a little bit different, um, but they don't—they don't really like. And oh, and they talk about how the the, mo the listings for monsters follow the format used by the new Monstrous Compendium series, and so you know it may look slightly different. The layout is a little different. And I'm like, eh, these all feel like pretty trivial things. Uh, amusingly, also the third module specifically calls out grabbing. <laughs> it says, "Oh no!" Because <laughs> it, it's funny. It says in this story, the PCs carry a valuable item, one of the tablets of fate. Many evil beings will stop at nothing to get this tablet. At points, in fact, the story requires them to get it. But since that would usually result in the death of the PCs guarding it, the DM should use an alternative rule that gives villains the tablet but still keeps the PCs alive. Use the overbearing rules offered in the AD&D Second Edition Player's Handbook, page ninety-eight. The enemy tries to pull down and pin a character holding the tablet. If successful, the enemy has gotten the tablet without injuring the character. Interesting. So use the grappling rules, which we know are were never contentious and always just excellent, um, <laughs> to to basically uh, you know to railroad the story in this way to allow right. this transition of this important MacGuffin to right. the uh, bad guys without killing your player. Well put. Do that, yes. CM. <laughs> right. uh, I would say ultimately. Um, <laughs> sorry, uh, I was just gonna. I was just gonna switch the image here. I would say ultimately, this book actually contains a lot more in terms of like you are moving from first edition to second edition, and here's how. Yeah. Um, or at least, or at least, here's how second edition rules fit into the campaign setting of Forgotten Realms, which you are maybe used to yeah. from earlier books. I feel like that that expanding uh, paragraph in the adventures. I, I mean, my first stab would be: is that because the second edition rules were still being written in parallel, and as these things firmed up and got got uh, the the changes got cemented, that then they they started talking about them. 
it's possible. Probably it's certainly possible. I mean, at the same time, it, yeah. the The copyright of this book, Forgotten Realms Adventures, is 1990. So at this right. point, they've there had a go. year for the for the rules to sink in. That was my uh, next so question. It's possible, yeah. Yeah, fascinating. It's, it's a re it's a reasonable theory. I feel like you know the, the these things that appear to be like incredibly minor details now. I, I do, you know, I do feel at the at the at the time there was less of a expectation that the rules were going to be the rules of D and D were going to be in flux and change from time to time. And in fact, there are some like there's at least one Dragon article where Gary Gygax is writing like we're still refining the rules. This is the first edition, or we're still refining the rules. Hopefully, at some point. The rules of D&D will be as formalized as chess. That's that's our goal and our hope someday <laughs> that it'll be completely wow. solidified and formalized like chess and it will it will just be in in constant stasis from then on. And I, I you know occasionally I find that um, first edition players, maybe this isn't the best word for it, tend to be a little bit more fundamentalist in their attitude towards the rules. There's a particular way it's supposed to be run, that's it. Um, and um, there was there was less of an expectation that there was going to be vari variants and options and adjustments and changes over time. Uh, and I think they were very, very sensitive to people's sensibility about that at the time. So these these minor details, they were trying to they were trying to handle fairly carefully, I think. Hmm. Hmm. My sense of it. Wasn't there um, wasn't there like a, a panel you showed us out of the comics a couple of weeks back where there was like a wizard like expostulating over a one point change in the damage from magic missile? Was that what it was? Indeed, indeed, yes, yeah. uh, and and that's possibly the biggest thing that happens in these adventures that uh, uh, that is impacted that impacts the the gameplay uh, that is a result of the transition from first and second. It seems like basically they decided that while the gods were walking the earth. Uh, that magic was just totally screwed up. You know, magic is totally foobar and it's all broken. And so for a while, nothing works properly. And then it only like settles back down after after everything ends, at which point there are some small permanent changes, such as magic missile does less damage. Um, and that, that happens in the course of the of the comics. You have the wizard character, you know, has a lot of spell failures and weird stuff happens. And, and then only towards the end, do you see that panel that I showed previously of him going, oh, ha, I get it. You know, magic missile now does less damage. Um, so the interesting <laughs> thing is in the modules, you know, outside of like, hey, by the way, here's how to do second edition. Uh, they also point out that, um, hey, magic is super broken during much of this adventure. And anytime anyone casts any kind of spell, you got to roll on this table to see what actually happens. And it's basically kind of like oh. wild magic. Things are super broken. Right. They say that priests right. can't get any spells above the third level. Their gods just won't grant them. It's just not possible. Mm -hmm. Right. And so so they like really just like break the crap out of your magic casting characters for the for the source wow. for the wow. for this game. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm trying not to find out if it tells me what levels are these modules for? And I'm, I'm being surprised that it doesn't just say it's not stamped on the front because that, that's, that's yeah, yeah. Interesting. It's interesting because a, a lot of these uh, habits are, are the same in the in the Greyhawk uh, adventure as well. I had to hunt for uh, expected level information yep. myself. Okay, I, I found it on the back of Shadowdale. Oh. It tells me it's for four okay. to six characters, level five to eight. So. Okay. Yeah, you're probably not too worried about not being able to get spells over the third level. Uh, right. That's fine. Probably just uh, lost a fourth level slot, I think, at the, at the upper end yeah, of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. At the very end, uh, by the, by Waterdeep, you get uh, designed for four to six, so uh, characters level six to nine. So maybe they're starting to get a little more impacted. Um, but yeah. As a first edition uh, guy, it, I'm accustomed to having that on the front cover. So all of you yeah. that knew to look on the back cover, it was going to take me a while to find uh, it there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was also a little surprised by that. Um, uh, you know, uh, there also I, I noticed in the in the um, uh, chat here, 
somebody was talking about like uh, why why Forgotten Realms, and and also point out that like when Second Edition came out, that was when Wizards were like really not Wizards TSR uh, really embraced Forgotten Realms as like the quote unquote official mm -hmm. setting for D and D, right? So I think yes. that that's probably why it got so much attention is that they were really trying to promote it as, as yeah. like this is where your game should be set. Yes, yes. In in first edition, the the default assumption was that it was in Greyhawk, which obviously was you know Gary Gygax's creation. And in the the earliest days, there wasn't really much difference between the rules and the campaign world. So like the the wandering encounters in original D and D are the monsters that are in various dungeon levels of Gary's Greyhawk dungeon, um, and um, the 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 transition. From first to second, is they 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 got away from Gary's creation and, and emphasized Forgotten Realms as the default setting from that from that point on. Yeah. So, tell us more about Greyhawk, Dan. What what was going on in Greyhawk? Okay. Yeah. So um, I think uh, uh, I have some images there. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, so there's just there's not a series of, of novels. There's no novels. There's not a series of adventures. They just there's just one adventure that's analogous in Greyhawk. It's called Fate of Instus, um, and you can see the top left. It's got the WG8, so World of Greyhawk series of adventures number eight, um, called Fate of Instus here, and it's got the same starburst on the cover, which is kind of what caught my attention. So here again, it says compatible with the AD&D and second edition AD&D game system. So it does say, hey, you can use this for second edition. It's, it's an interesting and sometimes very weird adventure. Here's weird thing number one. It never again refers to second edition. So <coughs> really? No, right. Nowhere in the book is it ever going to say second edition again. There's no paragraph about transitioning to second edition. Huh. There's no like, here's what wow. you do in the future. It never gets mentioned again. Um, which is not what I expected when I reviewed it in the past yeah. week, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's clearly it what it's, more. right? It's clearly what it's for. By the end of it, there are things that have changed in the campaign world to be compatible with second edition, but they never come out and say that, that that's, that that's what just happened, which is interesting. Huh. Um, it It's written by a whole bunch of different authors. There's, there's four different um, authors who wrote it. Uh, let me see here. Uh, Nigel Findlay, Dan Salas, Stephen Innes, and what caught my attention is Rob Kuntz. Now, Rob Kuntz, um, it, you know, fairly well known. He was co-DM of Greyhawk originally with Gary Gygax. Um, so I, I, in 1989, I didn't think that Rob had anything to do uh, with TSR, but they actually did manage to bring back the original co-DM to write elements of, of this adventure. So it kind of has an interesting provenance based on that. Um, there's 10 entirely separated, I guess I'm gonna call them modules. There's 10 mini adventures in Fate of Vistas, totally written independently by the various authors. They, they weren't a team of four. They were just like, you get this slice and you get this slice. They have very little to do with each other. Notice that 10 adventures, uh, first edition, D&D has 10 classes in the player's handbook. And the meta story is that the, um, the, the, the greater goddess of fate, the mysterious goddess Istis, um, has decided that changes need to come to Greyhawk and she's gonna challenge each of the 10 classes. And so basically each of the 10 adventures is, is intended to challenge one of the classes in the world. And huh. if the players do well, then everything's fine. And if the players, if the PCs fail at it, what usually happens is every single character of that class in the world loses one point of constitution. Wow. Which is, right? Yeah, Jeez. right? Which is like, yeah. It, it's, it's like simultaneously like really harsh and and also like maybe not harsh enough. Like, I don't know where, where anyway, yeah. that was the mechanic that I, they threw I, in there. I really thought you were going to lead me down the road of like that you're super railroaded towards success or failure and that the classes that they were trying to get rid of just failed. And great, now we don't, now we don't have to have assassins anymore. See ya. 
<laughs> well, that is exactly also true, Paul. So, so the the, the culmin the, what you just said is a hundred percent completely correct. Okay. Correct uh, guess. Uh, the final, the final adventure, number ten, is the one that tests assassins. And yes, if the if the if the players don't succeed at it, somebody else does automatically anyway, thereby eliminating assassins entirely from the campaign world. And of course, we know that assassins weren't in second edition. Um, yep. So that's the, the the last adventure is automatically wipes out that class. You're, that's exactly what happens here. So it is a little bit railroady. Um, the other the thing players that's, in yeah. that class are going to be so upset, I think, right? Like, how right. sweet they made right. an adventure specifically for my class yep. at last. <laughs> now, among, okay, here's a couple weird things about how the sequence of 10 adventures is written. So on the one hand, the, the adventures are written for four to six players. Okay. And in fact, mm -hmm. that's what we play with today. And when I survey people, they say, yeah, about four, five or six players. Great. Now, you need a particular, you basically need each of the 10 character classes in order to interface with the 10 different adventures, but you've only got four to six players. So how do you get the 10, how do you get the 10 different classes when you've only, when you're only playing with four to six players? That's, lots, that seems- Lots of multi-classing, maybe? Ah, lots of multi-class yeah, characters? I guess, <laughs> but better, better have my multi-class paladin druid available or something like that, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Right. And the other thing you're talking about leveling is that the claim is that you're going to you're going to level these characters all the way from zeroth level all the way to 12th by the end. And so the, the first the first adventure is actually for zero level characters. And then the next one's for first. The next one's for fourth. And I don't personally. I mean, I haven't crunched numbers on it, but I don't see that there's actually enough experience in like a six page adventure to manage to level all the way from zero to 12, all the way, all the way through this one book. Um, and at the oh time, I think God. the idiom was you're supposed to have like maybe six or 10 adventures to level. And this is somehow expecting you to level after every single six page adventure or sometimes more. And I'm very confused and there, there's really no organizing principle about how the heck you you leveled from zero to 12th in the course of about 60 pages or so. Um, so, eh? eh, eh uh, were there kind of trying to do everything? Greyhawk yeah. adventures after this? Or were they trying to like, all right, end cap, this is it. I'm <laughs> just going to tie a bow around Greyhawk and send put uh, it on a boat and set it on fire. Stephen, <laughs> a, a number of minutes ago, Stephen in the chat said that I, I think right at, I think shortly after this, there was a product that specifically burned Greyhawk to the ground, and it was called Greyhawk <laughs> Wars, and it had a war game. And I think that was the era when um, uh, we had new management at TSR. Uh, right, and they they didn't like anything that that Gygax had done, and so they specifically did have a boxed product that ended with everything about Greyhawk is just burned at the ground; it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, called Jeez. Greyhawk Wars. It was pretty. Oh. I don't know. It wasn't very charitable. I guess I'll say that. And then of course it came back, and they retconned some stuff, and there was a From the Ashes product. But yeah, having started <laughs> Second Edition, Greyhawk was definitely on the outs. Yeah, wow. Um, wow. you know, back to Fate of Vistas, uh, it's it, it is it's pretty railroady, uh, like the Forgotten Realms adventures. Um, you have a uh, malicious, mysterious villain, but they just want to test the PCs, right? They just oh, we're just testing the PCs. So if if you get in too much trouble, then they back off. They don't want to kill the PCs. They don't even want to seriously injure them. So we're just testing you, and if you don't do yeah. well, then maybe you can do better in the next one. Gotcha. Do they, um, do, they do that really... by using the grappling rules? Is that? You know, I wish I had the image. <laughs> I, you know, you're talking. There actually is a specific event. The adventure for fighters does prominently yeah. uh, have like an arena where you do have to battle unarmed, and they even have a half-page illustration of two people grappling. And I didn't, uh, I didn't put that in our, our image uh, uh, quarry, but uh, oh, that's that is in fact a major part of the fighter adventure specifically. Yeah. That's um, fascinating, right? You know, the, mm -hmm. the other thing, so with, with I particularly uh, paid attention to the, the couple of adventures that Rob Kuntz wrote. And uh, I believe that Rob was um, the, the, like the major 
a creative developer of things around the Great Kingdom, which is like the big degrading evil empire in Greyhawk, basically, and the evil over King Ivid. And he's got a he's got a, a court, a powerful court wizard named Zayin. And uh, Kuntz wrote a whole series called The Maze of Zayin. It's a four-part adventure series. wasn't part wasn't published by TSR, but he's got a four-part adventure series. I've actually run at least one or two of those about the schemings of the wizard Zayin. And they come back in Fight of Istus. So one of the adventures is in the capital of the Great Kingdom, and you. How, and here comes Zion again, and I guess spoiler for an adventure 30 years ago, Zion has has fallen out with the emperor, and now he's a lich. And the the players have got to go conf- go dig into his lair with a whole bunch of undead uh, in the sewers beneath the capital and confront the lich Zion and finally put him out of his misery finally. <laughs> So it's kind of interesting. The the other adventure actually has tie-ins to the Temple of Elemental Evil, as a matter of fact. And so Kuntz is really digging into you know the the most well-known um, things about Greyhawk, which is which is kind of interesting. And I didn't know it was in here. So if you're a big Greyhawk fan, you might want to at least leaf through to see what Kuntz did in in '89 with those characters, um, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, they, they, yeah, the other thing I would say is the 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 main plot element is that there the world has been cursed with a plague, a novel mm-hmm. plague that no one's seen before, that none of the normal remedies can cure, and so there's uh-huh. a whole from all ten adventures are here's a new city that's being struck by the plague and people go crazy and the markets shut down and the wealthy flee from the city and people are panicked and the temples can't handle it. Um, so, you know, depending on where your sensitivity is to plague issues, it's all the way through this, this module. Yeah. Jeez. As the players great, try great, to great adventure to, to be running in 2022, it seems. Right. Holy <laughs> <laughs> oh, crap. Right. And so the interesting thing, and so I, as I, as I, as I mentioned to Paul before this, the conclusion, so you get these 10 beats where they challenge a character class and either everything's fine or they lose one point or whatever. And then the end of it, um, you wind up having to invade uh, a, a, a place in the Greyhawk campaign world called the Scarlet Brotherhood, which is a nation state of culty evil monks and thieves and assassins. And like I say, ultimately, and they're, they're great villains, they're, they're spies and they're assassins in the world of Greyhawk, and, and many of us thought that was really imaginative at the time. And so, as I mentioned, that particular last adventure is intended to test assassins, um, and they're the, the primary assassin institution in the world, which, which makes sense. Um, at, and at the end of that adventure, it is kind of on rails that either the PCs succeed at eliminating the the demigod villain, or I don't know somebody else just comes in and does it for him. And as a result of that, uh, the assassin class is persona non grata, and they are all eliminated from the world. And I guess transition, start forgetting their assassin skills. And then at the end of it, they're all just normal thieves. They're just normal thieves. Um, Interesting. I was going to ask yeah. what they what they recommended. Um, so in uh, just just for comparison, I'm looking at the assassin section of the Forgotten Realms uh, Adventures book, right? And remembering what happened in the novels. Uh, again, lots of spoilers here for anybody who hasn't read these thirty plus year old novels. Um, <laughs> um, uh, so. Um, in the novels, uh, the the Lord, the God, the assassin God, basically at some point to give himself power, sucks out all the souls of all the assassins across the world, and they all drop dead. Oh, and and oh, he helps, like, you know, oh wow, you know, uses that to to power whatever. So, Holy smoke. Um, so the the Forgotten Realms Adventures says, okay, well, assassins no longer exist uh, in second edition. So here's what to do to convert your first edition assassins in the Forgotten Realms to this to the new edition. So you have two options. One, you can decide that your assassin character was slain when Baal sucked the spirits of assassins into his own form, create a new character, 
and uh, you get a little bonus for every level of experience. The, of the late assassin, you get yeah, an extra okay. point to an ability score. Great. Uh, option two, <laughs> the assassin loses all former assassin abilities as is considered a thief with the same number of experience points. The end. <laughs> yeah. they, they give you some some extra whatever lottie blah little bonuses, but uh, basically those are your options: become a regular thief or have your soul sucked by ball. <laughs> I feel like that even <laughs> that is like more detail than they go into Fate of Vistas. I think it says here that you're going to become thieves. They don't even talk about level or experience issues. So in some ways, do, do, Fate of Vistas seems more sketchy in a lot of ways like that. Um. Just because just I'm curious, because I'm looking at this page now, Dan. I, I know we, we've talked about assassins, we've talked about monks. What do they do about bards? Any 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 mention of bards? It, that's really interesting. So uh, so I was kind of um, hand waving a little bit earlier. First edition has ten main classes in the main part of the book, and then it has an appendix with an, with bards as the eleventh was optional. And I did not expect this, but Fate of Vistas does have one of the ten adventures dedicated to bards. Um, and I, 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 I didn't expect that, uh, but they, they do have an adventure that's like for bards or people planning to become bards because it's a split class type thing in first edition. And, yep. and, and, and again, you either, you know, if, if the PCs are successful, then everything's good. And if they're unsuccessful, then all such characters lose one point of constitution. That's it. That's it. I don't yeah. even, I'm not, what, what is the state of bards in second edition actually? They're a full class. They're a full class okay. on their own that is totally okay. separate from from the, okay. the weird multi-class thing that existed in first edition. So there's a bunch of text here in the Forgotten Realms Adventure about how to convert. Uh, so they talk about, you know, uh, determine the bard's level. Add all experience gained as fighter, thief, and bard. The experience total determines the bard's new level. Interesting. And then, like, you know, all this, all this stuff about, like, they lose these abilities and they gain, right? And it's just, basically, it's talking about full-on converting your old first edition bard character into a new second edition Interesting. bard. Um, that is a detail yeah. that the Greyhawk Adventure doesn't get into. Fascinating. Fascinating. Because certainly like first say, edition they, bards... They, it doesn't mention second edition. Yeah, it doesn't... Right? Data Vistas never mentioned huh. second edition, so they never say, here's what you're going to do in second edition. It's, that's, that's, that's not possibly part of the thing they're going to talk about. Weirdly. Right? Um, there's there's some questions we're going by in the chat about monks uh, whether yeah. they're talked about as well. Um, I'll just uh, just just for completeness, I'm gonna I'm gonna le read off the three bullet point options for you uh, for converting monks into second edition from the Forgotten Realms Adventures. Yeah. Number one, retire the monk. Just just the same way as old style bars may be retired, uh, you get a bonus to making new characters done. Um, option two, uh, keep using the monk as described in AD&D. Um, and this is so odd. Continue using the monk character as described in the original AD&D set. No new monks will be created in the realms, however, which makes for dandy job security for those at the top. End quote. <laughs> That's option number two. <laughs> Just keep using the old one and whatever. You're awesome. Okay. Job security. And then... Option three is convert the, quote, Western monk to the, quote, Eastern version found in the AD&D Oriental Adventures hardback. The monk in this case is considered a wanderer from the East who has found his way through magic or other catastrophe to the barbarian Westerners of Thera. Um, which, interestingly, exactly describes one of the main characters from the comic book. The comic book has a yeah. character who is yeah. uh, clearly, uh, you know, pulling some some stuff from, from Oriental Adventures and is a stranger and is a, a, a traveler and uh, out, of, out of place. So yeah. we we pro we have about twenty minutes left in today's episode, yeah. and, and yeah. we're going to have to. I mean, we're at some point we're going to have a, have to have an episode just about monks because yeah, th this is sure. this is uncorking a much larger conversation here. But um, again, monks were were taken out of the player's handbook between first and second edition, and if you talk about the the Greyhawk um, campaign world, the Scarlet Brotherhood. Um, actually has three tiers their hierarchy. Thieves are at the bottom. Assassins are just second. And the top controlling that nation state are the monks. They're actually the, the most important and the most interesting thing about that, camp, that campaign world. And so um, what happens at the end of Fate of Istis, and 
it comes in right at the end. They didn't talk about this for 150 pages, but right at the end, it says for the first time ever that the monks in the Scarlet Brotherhood were actually founded by refugees from Karator, which was the uh, the Eastern Asian influenced campaign setting that you find in the, the original Oriental Adventures hardcover, is that at some point in the past, so huge spoilers here, um, there were <laughs> refugees that came through a gate to Greyhawk from Karator, taught, basically taught the people there uh, the martial arts skills to turn them into monks, but hmm. there's a there's a factional dispute between the the old world monks and the new world monks, and they continue to have tensions. And there's 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 even a, 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 a racial faction component that there's there's racism going on between the two camps. <laughs> and so yes. right, so trigger warning on that. But it's you know. It's, it's it's a thing that evil people do, so I guess I can I guess I can accept that. Um, and so in the in the in the final conclusion, and there and so at least this text, the words that they're using is the Oriental monks versus the the regular monks. I guess is what they say. And so in the final conclusion of Fate of Istus, in addition to having all the assassins just lose their minds and become thieves, uh, a gate opens up. And the, the, the faction of Oriental adventure monks from Karator go back to Karator. <laughs> yeah. Right? And yeah. The, um, the, player's hand, the first edition player's handbook monks start forgetting their monkish skills and either convert to either fighters or thieves at the player's choice. Or you could go through the gate. You could go through the gate and you could be go a first edition monk traveling in Karator or vice versa. But sounds, um, I mean, it, it's, I mean, first of all, not surprised by a gate, right? Like that's, uh, I think we've, right. you know, right. uh, I've, I've poked fun before about the uh, magic item in uh, miscellaneous, uh, uh, marvelous magic book. Sorry. Uh, right. About right. The, the gates between worlds and like, if they're okay with jumping to Boot Hill, I don't see why jumping to character is that difficult to swallow. Yeah. Um, wow, just fascinating. Fascinating that the, the machinations, the, the teeth gnashing, you can kind of feel going on in the in the editing yeah. room there. Of like, how do we explain these minor changes? Um, yeah. Maybe not minor. I mean, I guess you know, whole character classes are going away, but like, right. yeah, I, it's fascinating. Fascinating that they that they they were really really anxious about this stuff. Um, and, and yet I can't say I ever recall playing in any campaign where anybody really gave a shit about any of this. Like, I feel like we just started new campaigns is mostly what, what happened at least in my circles. Like, All right, let's just do a new campaign. Well, Th these are your options. The end. Now, admittedly, <laughs> when you and I, you know, yeah. when you and I were, were playing circa 2000, we did have characters made for second edition. We did right. actually convert them to third edition. That's true. That's true. That's true. So we've done that. You are you're right about that. You're right about that. I right. mean, I don't know what they're going to do if this happens with the new edition because uh, aren't there something like thirty classes in uh, in? <laughs> uh, you know, a commenter right on a, a commenter on that uh, on YouTube uh, left a very helpful comment that the 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 thirty things in the the brand new book from Wizards are thirty races, not thirty classes. Oh. So I think okay, maybe okay. we got confused about the terminology there. So thirty playable. Okay. Well, how many classes? Types are of there? creatures. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 maybe someone can tell us that. I got, I got the impression that the, the, the priority in that new book was, was to gather together the, the playable races, not the classes. But I could, okay, I could okay. be hazy about well, that's, that. That's something. Yeah. I just, I can't imagine them in, in authoring. I just can't see Wizards authoring a how to convert your fifth edition to sixth edition book and like right. having all these like I fine agree. detailed retcons and whatnot. It seems unlikely. Well, I feel like that's what I mean. So, the, I mean, the, the so I'll, I'm going to bring this, I'm going to go on a tangent. I'm going to bring it back around to the point, the excellent point that you're making, Paul. So, if you think about what, why were these changes necessary, why were these changes considered necessary in the first to second edition switch? Well, there was something of a culture war going on at the time. And it was considered that assassins, characters that murdered for money, was not appropriate for the D&D &D game and they had to go. And it was considered that 
monks that that were influenced by the cultures of uh, Eastern Asia and influenced by the the Kung Fu film frenzy of the 60s, 70s, weren't appropriate for the core of the game and had to go. Um, so they were removed from the core rules of second second edition AD and D. And as as we all know in the chat, at some point they came back, um, mm -hmm. whether in a supplement or in third edition or something like that. Um, and uh, you know maybe they'll go away again. I mean, I mean, you know, I think that I think that's <laughs> you know maybe there are some people that will say that again. We have we in fifth edition we currently have a monk class in the core rules. And it's clearly a East Asian influence, and it's powered by Qi, um, uh, which is a Chinese word, to my understanding. Um, and maybe someone's, maybe there are people that today say it should be removed again. Maybe that was the right move. Um, so it's kind of interesting how we've had these cycles back and forth about what's acceptable in the game and what isn't. And I don't know whether that's going to happen again mm -hmm. or not, but that those were the challenges that they were trying to pave the way forward in these adventures that we're talking about. Um, so I think that, so bring it back to your point about the, the recent Wizards book, right? I think that the 30 races, that's where the current pain point is, uh, to my understanding, in the, the zeitgeist around D&D, &D, is how do you present species or races or folks, and how do you present abilities or generating or languages or things like that? So I, I think that them... Um, ironing out those issues in the new book. That's the primary thing that they want to convert, I think. Hmm. So hmm. The, the, the current book might be the conversion manual for the main thing that they're trying to fix. Does that sound reasonable or am I nuts about that? Could be. Could be. I don't know. Hard, hard to say without, uh, without seeing yeah. the, the, what's, what's coming down the pipe. Um, sure. We don't actually have a copy of the book ourselves, so we're kind of taking a stab at it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting yeah. to interesting to see. Um, you know, I want to before we run out of time. Uh, there was a comment earlier in the in the chat. You you were you had been talking about uh, the the laundry list of of authors on Fate of Istis, which has been sitting here in our yeah in our window. Yeah, yeah. Um, interestingly, I'll just point out uh, if you look at the Forgotten Realms novels, uh, you probably can't see this. The novels were all written. Um, uh, by 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 one author. Uh, let me see if I can get this figure in my face. Richard Allison. Allison. Hope I'm saying your last name right. Um, uh, but the the modules are all written by Ed Greenwood. Um, and then as you flip over to the Forgotten Realms Adventures book, that's Jeff Grubb and Ed Greenwood. Um, and interestingly, if you look at the comic books and you look at the first writing credit there on the bottom left corner, you see Jeff Grubb. So, so there's a certain amount of consistency there in authorship, I think, in the Forgotten yes. Realms. It really was. Yes. All the Forgotten Realms really was Greenwood and Grubb. Um, and it's just interesting that Greyhawk was so fractured at that point to have all these different authors, and, and Forgotten Realms is yep. like clearly under a, a very close control by, by just uh, two people. Correct. Correct. Yeah. It, it, they were clearly more interested in Forgotten Realms. And obviously you had a series of adventures and you had a series of novels and, and Greyhawk just got that one somewhat uh, fractured, frankly, uh, adventure um, to transition it out of first edition, even though it doesn't say what it's trans transitioning to. Um, so clearly Forgotten Realms was was the, the, the flagship at that point going forward. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I feel like I got it. Okay, so a number of people are disputing what I said, what my my hypothesis a couple minutes ago. So maybe we could put one of those on screen, um, like either John or William's last comment there. Uh, not sure which uh, what you're looking at here. Maybe the uh, here you go. Uh, that didn't come up. Uh, want to give some equal airtime to the. To the <laughs> dispute there so um uh, john asks so this uh, were monks jettisons in in tui because of the culture wars it seems like they were just collateral damage uh the original oriental adventures one ebook was still printed through much of the tui product cycle right i mean certainly and, the uh, Realms adventures uh references it and says yeah just just use it right right and william makes the same point so they they feel that and that um it was more of a of a setting issue 
and they were still publishing, as you say, still publishing monks in the Oriental Adventures line. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't entire, but you know, it was removed from the player's handbook, removed from the core rules. Yep. But uh, uh, you guys are thinking it's less of a culture war issue and more of just a setting. Um, I mean, that's really interesting. I think just I just want to dig into that a little bit of like. It's interesting that all this stuff comes up in setting books, right? You have the Free on Realms Adventures right. books, you have modules that we're looking at, but there's no like general purpose, here's how to convert from 1E to 2E, right? There's nothing for the DM who's made their own campaign yeah. world and is not using published content to say, yes. well, what do I do to switch to second edition now that there are no assassins? What if my world has got an important, you know, assassin characters in it? What that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. That's, that's, a, that's a super point. Yeah, to my knowledge, they, did, they didn't do that. That's interesting. As, as you, you know, when we transitioned from second to third, then you had a generalized how to convert characters packet that mm -hmm. we've talked about before. But to my knowledge, they did not have that in the first or second edition. It was setting specific. I mean, you know, if, if, if you go back to original D&D, right, the, the first supplement to original D&D was called Greyhawk, was... And it doesn't have any setting information. It's just here's the rules and classes and items that Gary uses in his Greyhawk campaign. And the second supplement was called Blackmore. And it, you don't have any, you don't have maps or geography or NPCs. You have here's the rules and classes and places that Dave Arneson uses in his Blackmore campaign. So the, at yeah. one point, the rules were intimately tied to what campaign world you were running. And maybe that was a bit of an oversight in, this, in and, this transition. And wasn't there, I feel like, wasn't there a habit, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I have this impression, wasn't there a habit that, um, you know, probably brought forward from wargaming period, where when people invented new stuff, they just sort of like had a big map and they just kind of circled an area and said, okay, well, you made such and such town, okay, it's over here, right? And they just kind of like subdivide at one giant existing map and just sort of assume that everything existed in one, one world. Pretty close, yeah. Pretty close. Yeah. I think that was yeah. a common. I mean, did did, did Blackmore and Greyhawk both uh, allegedly exist within the same world? Could you find them on a map? Uh, there's argument. The other? <laughs> <laughs> there's argument about that. Um, uh, the the Greyhawk campaign, the the, the Greyhawk campaign world uh, map has an area called Blackmore in it, and mm -hmm. then you can get an argument about whether that was really Dave Arneson's place or whether he agreed to that or not, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then, mm -hmm. and then Blackmore also showed up in the Mystera campaign world later on. So, um, uh, uh these things were reckoned loosely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let me bring it back to the, our, our question that what was this? And, and obviously they, they spent so much care on these, on these tiny little details is what it appears to, to us now making these rules changes from first and second edition. And uh, yeah, they had events, you know, in this vein, particularly for Forgotten Realms um, in later edition switches, but they never hammered it this hard. Um, yeah. I don't think in so many different media and so many different ways and so many different authors working on it. Was it, was it a good idea or should they have just, should they have just hand waved it from the get go in this instance? Or would it have been would it would it have been better to just have a generalized here's how you transition your campaign without without these mammoth adventures that admittedly I haven't run Fate of Vistas, Paul hasn't run the Time of Trouble series. They're not super well regarded as adventure series. Was it should they should they have not done that or was it inescapable at the time? I don't know. That's an excellent question. Um you know, and then and then I'm immediately haunted by like the 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 marketing copy of uh, announcing fourth edition with uh, the famous the game remains the same, right? It, would it have been better if they took that approach and just said like, don't worry about it, it's it's still the same game, the spirit is still there, and uh, yeah, it feels different, but you'll be fine. Um, maybe that's better, or maybe they should just not acknowledge it, or 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 possibly acknowledge that some players are going to keep playing the old thing, and that's okay. Yep. But I don't know if that is okay from a corporate standpoint when you're trying to sell product. Right. That's the classic <laughs> tension between art and business. And I wish that they didn't yeah. repeatedly, and they've, they've done this many cycles. They didn't have to, they didn't feel compelled to trash the prior edition. Um, 
And I, yeah. I, I, my, my thesis in the last couple of weeks has been don't put someone who hates the prior edition in charge of the next edition of your gaming product. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it goes for marketing too, but what do I know? If someone thinks that this was a great idea and someone thinks that this was like really a beloved <clears throat> series of adventures, we would like to hear that uh, in the comments so that we can, we can ruminate on that. Yeah, for sure. If you're uh, watching this and you you think uh, that the Time of Troubles was uh, an excellent good time and you loved running it, uh, definitely want to hear those stories. Um, or if you converted your home campaign from first edition to second edition, and it must exist. I mean, maybe Dan and I just weren't in the right place or with the right groups of people to need that at that time. Clearly, we were with second to third, so maybe it's just happenstance, um, but we would love to hear those stories. Please leave us some comments in the video here. Uh, let us know what your experience was uh, and we can uh, ruminate on that in the future. Yeah, definitely. Um, and remember that, uh, of course, you can like, follow and subscribe uh, to us, The Wandering Dams on YouTube and Twitch and Twitter and Facebook. And we're on GitHub and we're on TikTok. Is that right? <laughs> that is that anyway, is right. We, I guess. Is there content there yet? Okay. We, <laughs> <laughs> Soon. Um, and we do have the handle wandering DMs on all those sites. So please look for us there and you'll get uh, updates about future shows. For example, at some point, Paul, we have to have a conversation about monks. Yes, for sure. We will definitely do we'll that. Do that uh, if you want to listen to that conversation in audio-only podcast format rather than uh, watching us here on, on YouTube or Twitch, uh, you can get those on our website at wanderingdms.com or through various third-party podcast carriers such as uh, Google Podcast and iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, if you're listening to us on one of those third-party carriers, please take a moment to rate and review us on that site. That helps other users of that site find us, and we really appreciate it. We really do. Of course, big thanks to our patrons who continually support the show. If you would like to join them, please visit patreon.com slash wanderingdms. And you'll see our various tiers with discounts on March, access to a private Discord server, uh, try to do monthly behind the scenes videos, polls and surveys. And we have after party chat after every Sunday show. We'll be there in about 10 minutes to continue the conversation uh, in person uh, on video on Discord. So if you're a patron, we hope that you'll see you there. We always have a great time, right, Paul? Absolutely, absolutely. Please, please come and join us. Um, you know, it's... Um... We, we have a we have a great little group uh, that that sits and chats uh, about topics, uh, whether it's stuff we talked about on the uh, on the episode or or other interesting hard pressing things or just uh, advice uh, for upcoming games that that folks on our Discord are running. In fact, I even saw um, I saw some folks putting together a game on our Discord. So definitely come join us. I think it's one of the key features of uh, being a patron. Uh, come come join us and join the conversation. Yeah, uh, I, I tend to think of our Sunday group as the Council of Elders for the Wandering DM. So we hope that you'll and anyone anyone of any age is welcome. So we hope that you'll see you there uh, soon. Uh, I think, Paul, you're back uh, tomorrow night with uh, TDR. Yes, yes, we will be starting our Kids on Bikes game uh, damned by Colleen. So come uh, come check that out. Great. Uh, you know, last Thursday, I started doing some late night uh, computer game streaming on the channel uh, Thursday at 11 uh, Eastern time, which is kind of the end of my work week, actually. So I'll plan to be there again uh, late night Thursday. If you're if you're up, feel free to join me and see some possibly computer games that are older than you are. Um, <laughs> um, and the other thing is, we hope that you'll join us uh, next week. Um, we plan to have uh, a special guest next uh, one week from tonight. Uh, Daniel Boggs and Greg Svensson uh, to talk about Greg and Greg is one of the original players in the original Blackmore campaign um, and talk about his custom dungeon from the time called the Dungeon of Tonisborg and they put that together in a really nice I actually have it right here super nice hardcover bound book called the Lost Dungeons of uh, Tonisborg and they have the original adventure here and as well as um, extra fleshed out descriptions. And actually, it's got a whole game in it, too. It's got a completely uh, compartmentalized <laughs> original D&D game. You can just play the whole thing right out of this one book. Uh, Dan, I believe Dan Boggs made that, um, that cut-down original D&D game. So the whole thing's very impressive. And we'll be asking them a bunch of questions about that product, which is really, really nice, next Sunday, which will be February 13th. So we hope you'll join us then. I think that's what we got going on.
And I think that's it. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so, yeah. So don't forget, we are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. We'll be back with uh, Greg and Dan next week. Uh, so please join us then for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then.